Welcome to the Every Nation Taipei podcast. We're here to help you know God, discover your purpose, grow in your relationships, and make a difference in Taipei, Taiwan, and beyond. We hope this message encourages you today. Jump into it. My wife and I this week we had um, we had you know like a free night. We're trying to get more more um, margin in our lives and not just work all day and all night, uh, late nights and then early mornings. Uh, and so so at night now sometimes we get we say okay stop, put away the computers, put away the phones, just gonna you know hang out. And then uh, and then we we. Um, We were looking through the TV, like you know, trying to find something to watch together. Uh, and so, um, one of the things I did, like sometimes she, one night she was working and and I was by myself, so I I watched uh, the Jesus Revolution, which is really the story of just the Jesus movement in the 70s, which is when I got saved, and uh, that's what I grew up in, and the the church that I grew up in was a, a part of that, and so it was just so much fun just watching and. And having been a Christian now for um, since then, since '67, actually, uh, it's been a while, um, and just have seen God move in so many different ways in different places, whether it's out here in Asia or you know in the States and in Hawaii, where I grew up in our church there. And um, but it's it's so interesting how God moves in in so many different ways, but you can but it all feels the same. It's kind of like growing up in Hawaii. You, you see, you're surrounded by water, kind of like here too, right? And and every wave is different, but but you can always tell it's a wave, and they all have they all have this similarity. And it's the same with the waves of the ways that God moves through history. And today we're kind of going to go back through history and just see how God has moved and see how it's all tied together, and yet it's also different. Um, so, so we were watching TV. Back to that story, anyway. Kind of back to that story. So we're clicking through the channels, and my wife, she loves um, like uh, home improvement shows, and I like nature shows. And so we're always trying to go through those. But we usually start by saying, "Is there a good like um, uh, movie on or something on TV?" And so we're clicking through those channels first. And there's invariably never anything that's good on, so we always end up being either you know uh, home improvement or animal channel. But um, but one night we're we're clicking through, and there's a there was a movie on that we thought that kind of looks like a Hallmark movie. And having just come through Christmas time, uh, my wife and I we we just like we like Hallmark movies because they're always the same. Everyone's different, but they're always the same. It's always the same storyline. Uh, you know, guy and girl, they get attracted to each other, love blossoms, and then devastation comes, and they're, they're, they have to they get split apart by some circumstance or some you know old boyfriend or old girlfriend comes back in, uh, and then they come together again, uh, and and something about that just uh, for me like it never gets old. You know exactly what's gonna happen, but it's just like ah, oh, it feels good, you know. Um, And and the reason why that feels good is because honestly, that's the story of human history. God made us for love. And we started out Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in this huge love story, and then it split apart. Another guy came in, the nasty devil came in, you know, split Adam uh, and and Eve apart from God. And but God always had a plan to bring us back together again. And as we're going through this series called "Set Apart: A Biblical View of Holiness," our emphasis is is not on what we're set apart from, but what we're set apart to. 
Because I can tell you, like in a marriage, if I spend all my time focusing on who I'm set apart from, I see, I can't go to see that girl, can't make friendship with that girl. I used to date that girl, but not anymore. Now I'm married. So what am I set apart from? And I spend all my time thinking about the things I'm not supposed to do because we're married. Uh, it's not going to be a very fun marriage. It's just not, you know, it's, it's not going to blossom in love. There's not going to be ongoing romance. But if I focus on what I'm, who I'm set apart to, then romance stays alive. Then I'm excited every time I, I'm going home with my wife. Honestly, go home to my wife. But you know, we're, we work together. We're, we're together 24-7. And, and it's just fun. We, I still enjoy mornings, waking up and seeing her there. I enjoy meals together. I enjoy watching TV together, just doing stuff together. Because the focus is on who I'm set apart to. And see, that's what holiness is. Holiness is we're set apart to a relationship with God. But so often as Christians, like I grew up just with a focus on who I'm, what I'm set apart from. And I found that my Christian life just did not look like what the Bible said it should look like. But as I walked with God more and, and, and started to understand more and more and, um, and, and started really setting myself apart to God and pursuing that, that's where the life happens. That's what the joy is. That's actually the Christian life the way God intended it to be. Christian life was never to be about what we're set apart from, but always who we're set apart to. And that actually is the definition of holiness, is that we walk with God and He's the one. It's our relationship with Him that makes us holy. And that's why we say Christianity is a relationship, it's not a religion. It's all about a walk with God. And so today we're going to look into uh, another section of, of that. But let's do a, a quick um, overview. Let's see if I can open this up, then we'll be good. So anyway, here's our series. We're doing this uh, with all of our Every Nation churches around the world. Um, and week one, week two, we're in week three now, Holiness Revealed. We're going in and um, next week, Holiness Restored, Lived, and Completed. So we talked about God is Holy and uh, how that holiness was lost. Here's our theme scripture for this whole series. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Because holiness is, is there's an action to it. It's, it's something that we set ourselves to. And, and it's, like, it's like a good romance. If it's only in your mind, it's not going to be a whole lot of fun. And if you never do anything about it, um, you know, then uh, you're not going to have a whole lot of romance. So he says, prepare your minds for action. Being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient, as obedient children, children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And see, it's the, the fact that God is so different, so amazing, like we talked about the first, the first week, when we talk about God being set apart, He's just different from you and I. He's just on a different level, plays the game at a different level than you and I. And that's a good thing. Because the only reason why we can be holy is because He is so holy. And it's that holiness that is what makes us holy. And so, um, yeah, holiness revealed. And here's a quick overview of our... our um, Sermon today, we're going to be going back to the Old Testament. We're going to talk about how holiness was revealed in what's known as the Passover, one of the feasts of Israel, and how holiness was revealed in the Day of Atonement. So we're going to go back, and today we're going to spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. 
Now, we know this year we're reading the New Testament. So we're going to bring some Old Testament into our preaching. And, and I remember when I was in, um, in New York, I spent the last 15 years there, and uh, there was a guy who was a friend of the church. And so we had dinner a few times, and he was not a Christian. He was Jewish, but a wealthy Jewish businessman. And, and he was one who funded this project called the digitization of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And if you're familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls, there were a bunch of um, old scrolls uh, written, uh, handwritten copies of the Bible. And, and they were found, I think, around 1940 to 1950. Uh, a, sh- a shepherd boy was in the wilderness uh, in the Middle East there, and uh, he was throwing rocks into a cave, and he, it, it made a, a strange sound, break, the breaking of pottery. And so he went into the cave to check it out and found these jars full of these old scrolls that had been preserved. Um, historians tell us they were written somewhere between 300 B.C. to 100 A.D., which means they're written before and during the time of Jesus. Amazing. Uh, and and we're, I remember having dinner with him, talking about at the time when we first met him, he was just, he was just thinking about doing this and, and uh, raising the funds and so excited because he poured millions of dollars into this project. He was, and for him at that point, still the dream, like, oh, this is what I want to do. And we're just talking with him. And I was with the, the guy who was at that time the president of, uh, of Every Nation. Um, and, and so he was trying to evangelize him, you know, using this whole talk about the Old Testament and, and Jesus in the Old Testament. It was just so much fun being there. And, and George Blumenthal is the guy's name. And, uh, and he was talking about, yeah, I, you know, I, I want to I see if the Bible that we have today is the same as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so he digitized it, made it available to people, scholars around the world. And, and I remember after he got it done, he's like, yeah, you know, scholars are saying what we're finding is it's the same Bible that we Jews use, the Torah, it's the same. And it's the same as, as the Bible you Christians use. The, what was written then, we can, we can know that at least as far back as 300 years before Christ, the, the words of the Old Testament, because the New Testament wasn't yet written, still the same. And, and so as we look through the story of Jesus in the Old Testament, these were, uh, these were written before Jesus was born. And, and then we see Jesus written into it. It's just an amazing thing that, that gives us like such a firm foundation that the thing that, things that we believe have, have solid evidence behind them. And so that's what we're going to do today is we're going to look through the Old Testament uh, and just see Jesus in the Old Testament. So you ready for that? It's a little bit t- uh, teaching. I, I wore my professor get up, so I'd be like a teacher today. Um, but uh, all right, so so we we went through God is holy, and uh, and, and here's some scriptures from that. Just kind of a, a brief review. You shall be holy to me, for I and the Lord am holy, and you and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. And see, the focus of holiness is being set apart to God. That's the point of it, as we study holiness. No one is good except God alone. There's none holy like the Lord. Only God is holy. Apart from God, there is no holiness. Our holiness comes from our relationship with God. Our holiness comes from uh, being a reflection of Him. It's kind of like light. There's no light that exists outside of, you know, where there's light. Darkness actually isn't something. Darkness is just the absence of light. And so holiness, only where God is, is, is where holiness is. And it's only the things that he touches and the people that he's with that are holy because our holiness is wrapped up in our relationship with him. And so when we say God is holy, 
We're not just saying God is holy because he keeps to a, a certain standard of holiness. He is holy because he's the one who defines what is holy. Let's go. Genesis chapter 3. We went from God is holy to holiness being lost in the fall of man. It says, for God knows that when you eat of it, this is, is Satan talking to uh, the devil talking to Adam and Eve and tricking them and getting them to fall, uh, deceiving them. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now there's only one sin in the Garden of Eden. And that was, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we always talk about, why wasn't it, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of greed uh, or eat from the tree of the knowledge of lying or murder why is it the knowledge of good and evil? Because my Christianity has been so much just about knowing good and evil. And I thought like, that's the key to Christianity. And I thought that's the key to me being a pastor is I have studied and I know a lot about good and evil. And so that gives me an authority to speak to you. And God says, the one thing you got to avoid is the knowledge of good and evil. And it just like doesn't compute in our brains. If that's the one sin, the one thing God said, most important thing to avoid. And so what is he saying? He's saying, once we start trying to, to, to draw our standard of holiness or our own personal holiness, holiness from anywhere other than God, we mess everything up. And he said that is the most deceptive thing and the most destructive thing that you can do is replace God with something else. That's why you'll have no other gods before me. Whatever is the source of your morality is your God. And so God said it should always be me. What I say is holy is holy. What I say is righteous, is righteous. And our righteousness is only in Him. The Bible says it's not by our works of righteousness that we can be saved, but only by what He's done. And so we find our holiness in Him. And, and, he, and so he tricked, um, he tricked Adam and Eve. So here he starts to saying, God knows that if you eat this, you know, God is holding out on you. Is essentially what Satan did. His first step, his first move against Adam and Eve was to get them to mistrust God. And he does the same thing with you and I. Because trust is foundational to any relationship. And relationship with God is really all that Christianity is about. And so if he can get us to mistrust God, to stop trusting God. And actually all that faith is, faith is trusting God. And if he can destroy our faith, our trust in God, then he can damage that relationship and never, we'll never experience Christianity the way that God intended Christianity to be, which is a relationship with God. And so this is what Satan attacks. This is how we fell. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, then they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. It's interesting, when their eyes were open, they didn't see God. They didn't see good. They saw evil. And that's what happens once God's removed from our lives. We just, our, 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 our attention is drawn towards evil and that's the history of, of humankind. And then they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And then the past, that was an exciting thing to go and have time with God, their father. But now all of a sudden because of sin, there's a hiding and a withdrawing from God. And that's what sin always does. And that's where holiness is lost. Holiness is lost not in that we start misbehaving. Holiness is lost in that our relationship with God is broken because he's the only one that can make us holy and he's the source of life. So when God said, if you eat this tree, you'll die, it wasn't because God was going to come down and kill them. 
it was because God is a source of life. And once we're cut off from that source, our sin breaks that relationship, life begins to ebb away. Death is inevitable. And so here's, now we're going to look at God's plan to restore holiness into our lives. And it starts with this thing called Pesach, or Passover. Uh, Passover is a Jewish feast that they celebrated. And it's really built around, it's a, a commemoration of when the Jews left Egypt. They were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And then God delivered them from, uh, from Egypt through a series of plagues that he sent against uh, Egypt that forced them to let the children of Israel go. Okay, so that's the, the story in short form. You can read more of it later on your own, the book of Exodus. But it's, this, it's it, the, the feast of, uh, of pa the Passover feast is actually like this special meal and it's a time of celebration. And people, Jews all around the world to this day still celebrate it. In fact, one of the, the churches, that, uh, congregations that I uh, helped minister to and oversee in New York was a, uh, a Messianic, which is um, they, they, they keep all the Jewish customs, but they believe that Jesus is the, the Messiah. And so that one of the, the congregations that we had there was all uh, Russian Jews. Uh, and it was all in Russian, and they kept all the feasts. And so every year we'd celebrate Passover. Uh, and they have special foods that they eat and songs that they sing and dances. And it's a great moment. Uh, even in the building, I remember that I lived in, we had a bunch of Jewish folks who lived in this building. Uh, and I remember getting to the elevator one time with these two kids, uh, and it was Passover. Uh, the Pesach, it was that, that the day of the feast. And, and these two kids were arguing about what parts they liked about it and they didn't like. They said, I hate, you know, I hate Pesach. And he said, you know, the food is so bad. And, the, and, the, and then the, the girl, his sister was like, I love, you know, the food is so good. What do you mean the food is so bad? And they're arguing back and forth. Then they pull me into it and say, don't you like eggs? Don't you like lamb? And, you know, I'm saying, I'm not getting into this. But they're so funny because they're, they're trying to argue through me. Yeah, you know, and, and, and convince me that it was either bad, good or bad. But Passover, is this meal that they eat together and so we're going to go back and look at this that Passover and what took place there and begin to see I mean books have been written about this it is amazing when you look into actually all the different customs that the Jews have around Passover and what a reflection it is of all that Jesus did it's crazy uh, when, when you when you talk to Jewish people and you start to lay this out for them, um, they're usually kind of at a loss of, uh, well, I still don't believe in Jesus. You know, they just can't. Um, but, but all the facts just begin to line up. The history lines up. And so here in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, it says, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And, and here's what stands out to me from this. We'll just take, out a few, we'll just take away a few things. And we won't get too deep into it. But it says, gather in houses, everybody gather by families, family by family by family, and, and get a lamb. And so what, what that speaks to us of is Christianity is meant to be relational, in community, and especially in small communities of coming together. I remember Jesus, we, we were reading this, this past week in our daily reading about Jesus where he said, they said, Jesus, your family's here. They want to talk to you. And so well, this is my... Fellow believers, that's actually my closer family. And so as a church, we, we have connect groups. 
For us, this is the family. This is the gathering. This is where we come together with other believers. Because in this kind of a setting, God didn't say, now get together all the children of Israel, come together at the, at, at the temple, and then you know, do a, and, and all eat lamb together. He said, do it in households. Because that's where life is shared. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not a part of a connect group, get into a connect group. Somewhere where you can kind of break open the word of God together and share life together. Uh, if you don't have one yet, you can go back to the connection table there um, and, and sign up with a connect group. If the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take uh, according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. And, and there's this part of, in Christianity, number one, I think there's a fellowship around just eating together. That's important. We encourage connect groups to eat together. Uh, but also that, that symbolizes just a sharing of life together. We all share in Christ. We get into the word together. And, and, the, and Jesus said this, my meat is to do the work of the Father. And so our goal with every connect group is not to just get Bible knowledge, but to say, what are you doing? What are you doing with, with what you've heard? How is that going? How can we help each other to actually live out the scripture? Because that's where the wisdom comes. That's where the joy and excitement of Christianity comes. If Christianity was just about keeping rules, coming to church on Sunday, I, I honestly can, can think of better things to do on a Sunday morning than sitting through a lecture of good information. But the life comes when we actually start applying the scriptures uh, to our lives. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats. And, and, and this is, again, a picture of Jesus. The lamb needed to be without blemish, perfect. And so we're starting to see just these different, these, these different aspects of the Passover that relate to Jesus and who he was. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So they all do it together. And so as a church, let's all get in our, our connect groups, get into the word together. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat. And basically they, they were to take the blood of that lamb and over the door they were to, to, to take that and hit the top and then the two sides, basically forming the, 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 the form of a cross, of putting that, applying that blood to their household. And, and Christianity is actually a community thing. We do it together. We come into Christ together, but it's that blood that protects them. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so this is where the word Passover comes. Instead, the, the, God was coming through the land of Egypt, and this was the final of the plagues. God had been saying, let my people go. Let the Jews go back to their promised land. And Pharaoh was saying, I'm not going to give up this huge workforce, cheap slavery that I have, all these slaves that I have. And so there's this argument with God. God said, let them go, and he said, no. And so God would send the plague. And then he said, okay, maybe, you know, and then, then he changed his mind. No, let's keep them, you know, and then God would send another. And so the final plague of the 10th plague was killing all the firstborn. And there's something about, there's, there's a reason why it's the firstborn, both of, 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 of animals and humans. is because God says that the first of everything goes back to him. As God of the universe, the one who created us and gives us life and gives us all that we have, 
he instructs us to give the first part back to him. Because what that does is when we give the first part back to him, we, we bring it to him, it opens a door. Our generosity opens a door for God's generosity to come into our lives. And then what God does is he blesses the rest of it. And so God says, if you bring the first part to me, then everything following that will be blessed and will be great. Or you can just wait and struggle without God's help and then try to bring the leftovers to God. And all that part that's without God will come with a curse. And so here God is just saying, it's just a reconfirmation to say, you know, the first part, it needs to be brought back to me. Otherwise, what's separated from me, like we saw in the Garden of Eden, what's separated from God eventually comes to a place of death. And so what this was was an illustration of all of our own, everything we try to do on our own efforts will lead to nothing. And whether it leads to nothing while you're still alive or leads to nothing when you pass on from this life, only what has God in it is going to bring life. And so God is demonstrating that here through the death of the firstborn. And he invites us and says, for us, we shouldn't wait until God, until we experience the death that comes from what's separated from God. We should just bring the first to God and let him bring life to the rest that we have because that's going to be a blessing. It's kind of like uh, if you've ever, if you've ever uh, done business, like starting a business, and you start starting on your own. Uh, my, my family, I have a bunch of entrepreneurs and always trying to start businesses. And sometimes you start, start business and you have some wealthy guys who come in. It's so much easier when you have wealthy benefactors who come in and say, okay, here's a bunch of money, get, get going, you know. Uh, and then when you don't have that and you're trying to scrape and scramble and you don't have any money to do anything, it's just tough to get going. And it makes a huge difference. You're going for a few months and you're just kind of scraping by and trying to get things done with no money. And then someone comes and infuses money. And all of a sudden, wow, just everything becomes easier and moves faster. And this is what God is saying. You know, if you have my blessing on your life, everything's going to be better. And that's why he says, you come, as, as you give the first, God will come and bless the rest. And he's the best benefactor to have in your life. When God does that, it's not because he's hurting for cash, you know. When God does that, it's because he wants to be involved in your life and be able to bring blessing into your life because he created you for romance. He created you for relationship. And I know, like for me, I, I always want to put my wife first. I never want her to feel like the afterthought. It never goes well in our relationship if I make her feel like she's the afterthought. It kind of gets the leftovers. And it doesn't make me feel good either. See, it's in this relationship with God, we just say, let's, let's put God first. Right, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you. Okay. And so now we've come to Jesus. So it's the blood of the Lamb. The important thing is it's this blood of the Lamb that causes God not to bring death and judgment. And not because Israel was all living right. Because Israel was just as sinful as the Egyptians. And just as deserving of death. But the blood of, G of, of that lamb caused the death to pass over them and not fall upon them. And it's the same in your life. I don't know about you, but I, I got some mess in my life. I am by far from perfect. And most Christians I know 
once I get to know them well, I find out they got mess in their life too. We, we are just, we're forgiven sinners. We have brokenness in our lives. But the blood of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, causes, helps us escape from the death that comes caused by our sin. And so now here, it's interesting, the first time that, that uh, Jesus is, is identified in, in the New Testament, comes on the scene and his cousin John is baptizing people who want to be followers of God and he sees Jesus and here's what he says the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world now that's an interesting thing I've never heard anybody called Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world when John saw him coming he said this is what I see in you and it goes back to when he says you're the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world it goes back to the book of Exodus, the Passover. You see how God's plan was always just in motion. God's intention and Jesus is just aligning. God has always given hints and shown us what his plan of restoring holiness has been. Isaiah 53, 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah did this. Jesus was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth again equating Jesus with the lamb of the Passover. And then we go to the second event, another uh, of the feast. And this is, um, pro this is the most, what they call the most holy day in the Jewish calendar, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It says, and, and so in Leviticus, it talks about the Day of Atonement. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he, he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the, for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness so let's let's here's the the tabernacle that it's talking about and once a year on the day of atonement the high priest would go into the tabernacle into the most the the, the most holy place i don't know if you can read that there uh, to the left the, the room to the far left is the most holy place and so throughout the year all the different priests could go into the, all the other rooms and bring bread and all, incense on the altar and light the lampstand and make sacrifices on the altar and wash things in the bronze laver or the bronze wash basin. And, and that was throughout the year they could do these things on a regular basis. But the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant, which was where God's presence was on earth up until the time of Jesus. Up until the time of Jesus, God's physical presence was just in this one place the most holy place. And only one person could go into that room once a year. And that was only the high priest. And when he went in, he had to kill a bull and a goat. And the bull he would kill to cleanse himself. And so he would have to offer that, that bull as a sacrifice on the burnt offering so that he would be holy and his sins would be forgiven. Because there always has to be shedding of blood for forgiveness of sins. And so he would kill, he killed the bull so that he would be holy. And then he went in, he took the blood of the goat and he took it into that most holy place, the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, on the top of it, there was this, um, like, like a bowl that was called the mercy seat. And I love that name, the mercy seat. And he would take the blood of that goat and sprinkle it on the mercy seat because that's how we got mercy. 
was through the sacrifice of this goat. And once a year he would do this for the forgiveness of all of the sins for that year for all of Israel. So he would, he would do that on behalf of the nation. And he had to do it all just right. If he messed up in any way, he would die. So it says, And when he made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, then he shall present the live goat. So what it is, is on the day of atonement, they would have two goats. One would be the sacrifice goat that he would kill and then take that blood and... and sprinkle it on the mercy seat for the forgiveness of sins. And there was another goat that stayed alive. It was called the scapegoat. So you had the sacrifice goat and the scapegoat. And Aaron shall lay his, both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. And so while still alive, this goat would take on all the sins of the nation of Israel for that year. So there's a sacrifice goat and a scapegoat. That's where we get the name scapegoat from. That's someone who takes the blame for stuff that they didn't actually do. That's what a scapegoat is, right? You put your blame, like I, I did it, I'm gonna blame that guy. And it comes from actually this story. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. So he this goat then goes into the wilderness carrying all the sins of Israel and dies alone. So there's the two goats. Sacrifice goat and the scapegoat. Not sure which one you'd choose to be. But Jesus did both. He sacrificed his life, but he also took all the sins of humanity upon himself for you and I. And this is to be an everlasting ordinance for you. On the 10th day of the seventh month, you must deny yourself and not do any work, whether native-born or foreign, residing among you. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It's a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourself. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as a high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the meeting of, and the altar, and for the priests and all the members of the community. So the high priest would once a year take the blood of the goat, sprinkle it on the altar for the sins of the whole nation. And he would also then place all the sins, of the, the burden of all the sins of the nation on the scapegoat, and that goat would die alone in the same way that Jesus died alone and took our sins upon him. He said, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But God said, no, you need to take the sins of the people, just like the scapegoat. And Jesus uttered a, a, a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What this signifies, when Jesus died, the veil, the curtain between the holy place and the most holy place, history records, was torn in two. Because now, through Jesus' death on the cross, you and I can come to the presence of God. Not just one high priest once a year for all the sins, but now that Jesus has died for all of our sins, for all of time, we now have free access back into the presence of God. Just like Adam and Eve had access to God in the Garden of Eden, God, Jesus, through his death, has restored that. And so, so, so as you begin to study the, the, the history of the Passover and the Day of Atonement 
and, and even going back to the Garden of Eden, how God killed an animal and covered them with, with, with animal skins, covered their nakedness. We just see the story of redemption and Jesus, what he did on the cross in his lifetime and how thousands of years before he was even born, already was set into place the pattern by which our holiness, our relationship with God would be restored. And God's deep desire for you, the reason why he did that from before we were even born, the reason why Jesus went to the cross is because he loves you. He loves you and I, and he wants a relationship with him. And he calls us to leave just dead religion of just trying to do right things and trying to be holy ourselves. And he says, come back into relationship with me. And let me be your holiness. And experience life as I intended it, in relationship with him. And so then Jesus died upon the cross, taking our sins upon him. And that division between us and him and God was, was torn. And so Christ now becomes the high priest, Hebrew says, over all things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of the created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. And so Jesus now is both high priest and sacrifice. He's both the sacrifice goat and the scapegoat. He bore the punishment of our sins and the weight of our sins so that we could be healed, not only forgiven of our sins, but how many you know sin causes brokenness? Sin causes brokenness in our lives. Sin causes brokenness in our relationships. The reason why God hates sin is because it destroys what we were created for. We were created for relationship with Him and relationship with others. This is the great commandment. Love God and love others. That's the point of God making us. He made us for the sake of relationship because God is love and we're created to be the objects of His love, to share in that love relationship with Him. The greatest romance of all. But that was broken by our fall and restored through the cross, through Jesus. That had always been God's plan. And that's why He says, under the old system, the blood of uh, goats and bulls uh, could, could never cleanse people. But just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as the perfect sacrifice for sins. So Jesus is both the scapegoat and the sacrificial lamb in our lives. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days, he's been re he has been revealed for your sake. So before we even created, God already chose. God already had a contingency plan. He knew that Adam and Eve would fail and go away, kind of like a... Like a um, like a Hallmark movie. He knew that that initial romance would be broken, but he already had a plan for the romance to be restored. And it was Jesus. And he began giving us hints and showing the pattern through Passover and through Day of Atonement. And through Christ, you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because you raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. And so through Jesus, God wants to restore our trust in him. The thing that the enemy first wanted to break, that, that broke the relationship, God wants to restore. And that's why faith is key to entering back into relationship with God. We have to trust 
God. And that's why God made it so plain that thousands of years before we were even born, before Jesus was ever born, God already had the plan in motion. It's not just something we've made up. It's not just good ideas. It's not just a religion that we've created. But God, from before mankind even sinned, already had a plan for provision, for restoration. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belong to the Lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. It's a quote from John Stott. It says, The essence of sin is man submitting himself for God, substituting himself for God. You know, we want to be God. We want to be the determiners of what is holy and what is good and what is evil. While the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man puts himself where only God deserves to be. But God puts himself where only man deserves to be. That's the gospel. And that's salvation. I want you to stand with me as we close. We're going to partake of communion. We're going to do communion together. So there should be some elements. Just always, I think, just the best way to remember what Jesus has done and to celebrate As we take communion, it's really just a remembrance of the Passover. That's when Jesus instituted communion, was at a Passover meal. And so it's a reminder that Jesus is the Lamb whose blood was shed for you and I so that God will pass over us. He is our high priest who went into the most holy place to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat so that our sins would be forever forgiven. He is the one whose body was broken like the sacrificed lamb on the cross so that you and I could be made whole. So that not only would we be forgiven of our sins, but we could be healed of the effects of sin in our lives. And so the Bible says that Jesus at the Passover meal, he took the bread and he said, this bread is my body broken for you. And to do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of him. His body broken so that you and I could be made whole. That our relationship with God could be restored. Our relationships with others could be healed. Our physical bodies could experience healing through the broken body of Jesus. So Father, we thank you for Jesus. The sacrifice lamb by his stripes, by the wounds in his body, his broken body, we are healed. So Father, everywhere there's brokenness in our lives, the effects of sin, we pray for healing. In Jesus' name, bless the bread. Let's partake. Scripture goes on to say that in the same way Jesus took the cup, blessed it, gave thanks and said this this cup is the new covenant in my blood this is God's promise that that covenant is is God's promise that not only has he forgiven us of our sins but he's going to give us new hearts hearts that actually connect with his to the point where we won't have to say to each other hey you got to know God we'll all know the Lord instead we're going to just share in the joy of knowing God And church will become more of a celebration of all that God's done through our relationship with Him. And less of a, let me tell you how to know God. 
as each and every one of us can have a relationship with him through the shed blood of Jesus that forgives us of our sins, tears that veil, that curtain that used to divide us from God and restores us to the kind of relationship that Adam and Eve had with God in the Garden of Eden, the kind of relationship that Jesus had with his Heavenly Father. So Father, we pray you bless the cup. Forgive us of our sins, Lord God. Remove, Lord, the penalty and the, and the curse of sin from our lives. Give us new hearts, no longer broken and hardened by sin, but hearts that are soft towards you and restore the relationship according to your promise to us. In Jesus' name, bless the cup. Let's take together. My prayer is that you'll experience holiness as God intended. That today, this week would be a week where you just start to be more and more aware of God in your life and God working in the lives and the circumstances around you. That you'd experience the joy of what it really means to live the Christian life in relationship with God, having His heart, hearing His voice, being connected to His Spirit. And so the Lord bless you. Have a great week. Thanks again for being with us. We look forward to seeing you next week. God bless. Thank you for listening. We pray this message spoke to you and built your faith. For more messages like this, visit our website at everynationtaipei.com. You can also send a prayer request and reach out to us anytime. God bless you. Till next time.